Hi, it's Marina Perkins, Promly Intern. Welcome to another episode of the Promly Changemakers Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to download the Promly app and follow us at Promly app on Instagram and TikTok. Together, we will change outcomes. Hi, welcome back to the Promly Changemakers Podcast. I'm here with Sarah Slim, a Tulane senior who founded Project Adapt last spring. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Marina. I'm really excited. I'm so excited too and to talk about this. It's so awesome. Um, so just to start off, how would um could you explain like for our listeners what Project Adapt it, it is? Yeah, absolutely. So I founded Project Adapt last spring and I called it Project Adapt because I really wanted to adapt what I'm doing based on kind of the issue or the conflict that was going on. But I primarily founded it in light of the Russian-Ukraine conflict that's been going on and obviously continuing. And so what I did was I raised about $30,000 just through online campaigns and through personal friends and strangers as well. And then I spent about six weeks in Ukraine um, distributing that you know, through other nonprofit organizations that needed whether tools or direct relief, immediate relief, um, and just also going and listening and, you know, bringing back their stories and kind of understanding what's really going on over there, because I think that is obviously one of the most important things that's going on in the last couple of years. That's amazing. Can you explain kind of like your trip and like, um, like for the viewers, like, How did you get there? Like, what did you do while you were there kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I started in Shemshul, Poland, just to basically kind of get an understanding of Ukrainians that were coming into Poland. So I started honestly just by going to train stations and going to different kiosks that were helping uh, travelers and just saying, hey, do you guys need anything? What's going on? What has the situation been like for the last couple months? Because at that point I went beginning of June. And I lasted through the end of July. So I started there and then I trained into Ukraine. And over the course of the six weeks, I honestly traveled throughout the country. I started in Lviv. I went up to Ternopil. I went to the capital, Kiev, for a little bit. I was also primarily in Krobanivsky and Kriviri. And Kriviri is about 50 miles from the mm-hmm. third line of front lines, like the last one, I guess. And... I had family friends that lived there, and so they helped connect me with different nonprofit organizations that, you know, they felt were making a really big impact in their different cities because it's not, you know, Ukraine is not just Kyiv. There are different places that need a lot of help that don't get highlighted on the news very often. And so I basically, you know, spent six weeks traveling between the cities and the organizations, learning about what they do, how they make an impact, and figuring out how I want to be able to help them long-term because I think Mm -hmm. that's really an issue when it comes to nonprofit organizations is, oh, I can can provide a Band-Aid, but I really wanted to try and sustain it or help them at least long-term. So one of the examples was I invested in construction tools for a group in Turnopol that was rebuilding some of the buildings in different types of schools or shelters across the city in order to turn those into living quarters for people that were internally displaced. And so that was something I felt that I could, you know, at least help them do so then they can continue to use that and, you know, sustain themselves almost in a way and like that way. That's amazing. Like it's so, 
I totally hear what you're saying about putting a bandaid on it. I've um, been looking into a lot of like nonprofit organizations and stuff because um, I'm a sociology major and we talk about this a lot in class about like how there's these big problems and a lot of times it seems easy to like go volunteer once and then but that isn't helping the overall issue. Yeah. So that's incredible that you were able to like do that on your own. How did you like kind of know what to do? Yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of it, that's kind of why I called it Project Adapt is a lot of it is you just adapt to what's going on and to the people you meet. Uh, So an example of that is I had visited this really, really small village outside of Bucha and Irpin, which is kind of one of the first names people think of when they think of um, just human conflict and loss in terms of this conflict because it was occupied and destroyed and so many horrific things happened there. But mm-hmm. no one really, you know, has heard of this town, Nova Buda. And I think well, when I visited, um, I realized that I that they weren't getting the help that they deserved in a way. And so obviously I cannot fix anything, <laughs> you know, just speak like kind of what you were saying earlier about long-term change and kind of what I mentioned. Mm -hmm. I'm very aware that, you know, I'm not going to be able to, I don't want to go in thinking, oh, I'm going to help you and change your life. It's, oh, I want to understand what's going on. So then I have the resources to hopefully like make at least a little impact. And so when we went, I was kind of thinking about that to this village, Nova Buddha. And I ended up deciding to you know, for the last week, I kind of didn't have really any plans, and I decided to stay there and help this one family clear their uh, house of rubble and so that they could rebuild before winter, which was really just impactful. But you don't really know what's, you know, you have to adapt to what's going on. Yeah. A lot of times we had to change where we were going because of threats and what was going on over there. I was really lucky where we have family friends that, you know, were able to kind of point us where to go and come with us because I don't speak Ukrainian and that is a very big blockade when it comes to volunteering over there and so they were with us and were able to kind of say okay these are the places that we think um or we found or have friends that need help or you know want to talk to you and want to talk to somebody that's American how do you want to do this and then we mapped out when I was in Poland when you know we were closer to going into Ukraine kind of mapped out where we were going yeah, that's um, incredible. But it's really just, you know, going and being there and figuring it out. Because we flew to Poland and, you know, just kind of realized we're just going to go with it and figure out and see what we can do and, you know, what we don't need to do, if that makes sense. Yeah. Was it scary? I got that question a lot when I was over there. I may be stubborn. I was never necessarily scared because I knew I was with people that would protect me and I was with my dad my dad came with me mm-hmm. and I knew that he was already thinking about that and thinking of the dangers of that yeah we had a lot of questions from Ukrainians saying you know I took my children out why are you bringing your child into the country mm, which wow. was really like we got that very very often and I think I'm maybe just a little bit stubborn and I felt really safe um doesn't necessarily mean we were safe at all times. There are plenty of times we had, you know, warnings of missile strikes and where we had to go into shelters. But personally for me, I never felt scared, I think, because I knew I was in the best hands possible. 
Wow, that's inc- that's so interesting that they would say that to you. I f- like because you're someone who's trying to come in to help, but they're viewing it as like we're trying to get out of here. Like exactly. Or a lot of a lot of the people that we met had left and returned. And so mm. then we kind of posed the question, why did you return when you took your children out? Like what what motivated yeah. you to come back? And from what we heard and experienced from people we talked to, they said we don't want to be in a strange country where we don't have our family and values. We'd rather be here and be with people that we wow. care about. And they're, I mean, they are very inspiring when it comes to standing with your country and standing with your people because they are so also humble about it. Yeah. And so the way that they would talk about just wanting to come home and just at least be in a familiar place was really inspiring just as you know someone else from the u.s no that's incredible i this is all like i it seems to me like such a daunting experience like how did you get through that fear of like starting an organization yourself like figuring out your plans like was it ever just like oh my god like i'm doing this by myself and i don't know what i'm doing yeah i think making that first decision of okay this is what i'm doing where i'm going was maybe a little daunting. I would say in terms of creating the nonprofit, it was not as daunting or scary as I thought it would be because Mm -hmm. I'm from D.C. and I'm not even really sure if it's a different process, but for me, I was able to basically create the nonprofit within three days. The only thing that I had to wait on um, was the tax exemption and EINC number. But I, once I had written all of my documents, so... Articles of incorporation and the bylaws, and I formed a board, and I had a team. After that, I want to say it was, honestly, could have been two days, three days of just going in and filing. And once I filed, I think filing took about maybe 20 minutes, which was really interesting. I never thought it would be that easy. So Mm -hmm. the process of it and creating it was easy, I think preparation was really interesting because it's not like I'm just going you know somewhere else you're going into a conflict zone that like potentially Mm -hmm. is dangerous so you have to prepare in different ways and I think that was more surreal than it was daunting that's why I kept saying I'm stubborn because I was just kind of not excited but I was really looking forward to being there and so I don't think I ever necessarily had fear The only time I would say that I was really scared when I was over there was my first night in Lviv. And I woke up around 8 a.m. to sirens going off in the hotel. And the hotel said, please make your way down to the shelter. There's an air raid alarm. And so I kind of freaked out. I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to be down there. I threw all my clothes. I got my bag. And I was texting my um, dad and my team. And I ran downstairs and... There were people outside smoking cigarettes, walking around, like, everyone was kind of looking at me like, whoa, what are you doing? And I met up with our family friend, and she was like, why are you freaking out? This happens every day. Like, we've gotten so normal to this sort of system. Um, That they didn't even flinch anymore. Yeah. And that, I can only speak for the people that I talked to, but the people I talked to said that they feel kind of desensitized to 
the alarms going off and them saying go down because you don't really know if there is a potential danger, but you mm. have to assess it depending on where you were. Yeah, Since we that were in makes Lviv, sense. which is the far west, my family friend said it's basically like 0% danger, like you're fine. And so we didn't even go downstairs. We just sat, you know, in the lobby, talked about it. And that was the only time that I ever kind of was like, oh, my God, what's going on? So what inspired you to do this? Was So you're talking about you have a family friend who's in Ukraine? Yeah. So my dad has spent a lot of time working in Ukraine. And I think for me, having someone that you love in a country that you don't really know at a really young age, at least how I felt, was that I really wanted to know more about it and mm-hmm. feel more connected. And as my dad basically created almost like another family over there in terms of family friends and um, close contacts. We spent a lot of time going there. Um, at least we went, I think, three times in 2015 and 2018. Oh, and so you had been there a lot before. I had been there before. And my I had always known about kind of the situation over there because my dad was there once a month growing up. Mm-hmm. So I would come home and be like, oh, where's that? Oh, he's in Ukraine. Okay, cool. How's it going? He'd send pictures. And he was there in 2014 when the protests were going on, mm-hmm. when Crimea was annexed and um, Maidan was going on. He was in the middle um, of the fight and the strikes. And I think oh, wow. for me, I just always, with family, friends, and with my dad over there, I always just kind of had this passion for knowing more and keeping up with it. Mm-hmm. So I had gone in 2018 specifically to um, kind of realize, you know, find out what's going on in terms of IDPs, especially children. And so I had worked with the camp um, for a little bit, talking with them, kind of understanding how they're feeling, what their story was. And this is 2018 when there wasn't a lot of, you know, talk about what's going on. Mm-hmm. So when Russia invaded in 2022, I felt very strongly about that. And I had looked, you know, through different nonprofit organizations and I kind of realized I didn't know where my money was going and I didn't know who it would be specifically helping. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of what made me start thinking at least, okay, like I want to do this Mm -hmm. um, and I want to create this nonprofit so then I can, you know, be more in touch with people I'm working with, but also the people that are donating as well. Yeah. That's incredible that you were like, I'm going to put it in my own hands. Like, I love that. Like, I think that's like, I don't know, like I couldn't do it. Like, I think that's incredible to be like, you're seeing a problem that you actually like really resonate with. And instead of just like throwing money at it, you're like, how can I go over and help? I think especially my high school was very service oriented. And at Tulane, Tulane was, I mean, one of the reasons I chose Tulane was because of this idea that it was very service oriented. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I've always kind of approached problems if I, like, want to be involved and put my hands on it and not just kind of, like, oh, you know, sit on the sidelines. And I think that's Mm -hmm. definitely true with what you said, like, just getting my hands on and figuring it out as I go. Mm -hmm. I love that you did it with your dad. So how was that? It was really interesting. Uh, I think my dad was a little sappy sometimes because... This was, I mean, the summer between my junior and senior year of college. And I think he realized that we were never going to have time like that again, him and I. Yeah. And it definitely had its, you know, interesting struggles. We honestly never fought. It was a great um, experience. And I think he 
was really excited for me. Mm-hmm. And it was really easy kind of living with him, just him and I. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like, my mom and my brother missed us, but they were also supportive from back home. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, I always knew that I was in safe hands with him yeah. because he's also been there so many times. He knows, honestly, his way around, especially Kiev, really mm-hmm. well. Um, and it was a great trip, and I honestly, like, think about it very, very often and, you know, think about kind of what's next and what else can I do next. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Do you have, like, a favorite memory from the trip or, like, the whole experience? Yeah. Um, that's really hard because there's so many memories that I'll always hold very close to me. I think what I mentioned earlier, that last week um, working with the family because – we got really close over the week mm-hmm. and we spent a lot of time talking with them through a translator, obviously, um, and some broken English and Ukrainian that I tried to pick up. Mm-hmm. But it was this grandmother who is the matriarch of the family, um, her son and his wife, and then their three kids. But then the other cousins and family members would come over and just talk to us. And I think building that relationship was really meaningful to me. Even just them letting us in and accepting us, I think, was really powerful. And I honestly, probably the favorite memories are just the people that I met and the people that I'm still in contact with. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one woman out of Lviv who just came to volunteer with us one day, and she and I still talk over WhatsApp and Instagram, like, weekly. Oh, that's amazing. You know, Google Translate can only do so much, but I think for me that last week and just seeing how that changed because for context their home had been hit by a missile and they weren't able to move it because the husband had helped people evacuate people out of the village and he got um hit by a missile while doing that so he wasn't able to oh my god basically help and they hadn't they had kind of started but not really and i think you know, we had asked, would you accept us if, you know, we could do this? And they said, I mean, of course. Yeah. And then the grandmother was out there moving bricks with us and going through. And I was like, she should just go sit down. Like, she doesn't have to worry. But she had told her uh, daughter-in-law that she was worried that we would think she was lazy. And it was just moments like that where it's wow. like, I think, puts everything into a big perspective. Yeah. And also the cultural, you know, similarities and differences overall that week really you know stood out to me yeah that do you feel like that's like did you notice a big difference between like because i i studied abroad and one of the classes i took was talking about like the differences between like the culture in the u.s Mm -hmm. versus other places did that become really obvious to you that while you were there definitely i think something that i've seen sometimes whether it's through my own personal experiences or people that I've met, um, is this struggle with identity and just kind of being proud of where you come from. Mm -hmm. At least for me, sometimes in my past, you know, we all kind of make silly comments of, oh, you know, I wish I was from this other place or whatever. But from those just six weeks, everyone that I met was so proud to be Ukrainian and so proud of who they are and just honestly, like, happy with what they still have and the family they still have Mm -hmm. and 
their mindset of I'm not a victim, but this is my situation and I'm going to try and make the most of it, at least from the, you know, people that kind of explain that to me, I think was really, I mean, it was insane to me, honestly. I, there was one woman I met who said, um, I can't cry for what I don't have. I can only be like happy to have my kids. And I remember getting in the car and thinking, how could, like, I would never be able to have that mindset. Mm -hmm. That is so insanely just, I don't want to say fantastic, but it's, it's such an impressive mindset to have in such a difficult situation. Yeah. And of course, not speaking for anyone that's Ukrainian because there's so many different experiences over there, but just from the people that I met and that woman, I think I was just blown away. That's, was it like a weird experience seeing these people and seeing how resilient and like them having actual problems, like to then, not that people here don't have problems, but then to come back to like Tulane and kind of, like did that like really put things in perspective for you? Yeah. I think it definitely it was hard. Honestly, it was hard to be there and then come home and kind of you know, resume back to normal life. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of hearing their stories and then coming back and hear someone complain about how long the flight is taking to go home yeah like just small things I think really impacted my mindset I think coming back to Tulane I very aware of Tulane's presence in New Orleans and also just Tulane as an institution and I love Tulane but it also has its problems yeah and for sure I think it was weird to go do this thing and then come back and go back to school and just like Keep, Keep going. On. Yeah. But how I've tried to view it is try to bring in my experience into my classes or my work, whether that's if I have an open project, I usually kind of choose Ukraine mm-hmm. in terms of whether I'm looking at the global food security of the country of Ukraine or studying a specific moment in time. Um, that's how I kind of try and continue what I've been, what I did. Yeah. As well as through my internship, I'm interning at Center for Peace Diplomacy where I'm able to research a lot about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and apply that to peace strategy specifically for um, countries like Syria. Oh, that's amazing. I'm able to kind of continue that Mm -hmm. as much as I can, but it was definitely weird coming back for a little bit. Is um, there something you wish people knew more about Ukraine and like what they're going through right now or just in general? Um, I think just like I said, their resilience is really impactful but also that they really look towards the west and the west's opinion as like as an american they would always ask me how long do you think this is going to last like what do people think over there Mm. and their biggest worry is war fatigue in terms of media attention or news that's cycling through the united states or other places and i think just showing up sometimes was really important for them just to see that someone from America is listening and continuing and trying to bring that back home mm-hmm. in terms of what's really going on over there. The biggest prize for me was just food security. I think um, there is a lot of food there that's not being able, like that's not 
distributed well or is going to waste oh, because wow. they can't get to either the front lines or out of where they are in different areas. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really interesting for me learning about that because prior to that, I you kind of assume there's not a lot of food, but there is a lot of food, but it's going to waste because it can't get out. Um, at least from back in June when I was there. Yeah. Um, and from the people in food warehouses that we would talk to. Um, I think also the other thing is just in terms of people that are looking to help finding places that distribute internally and not mm-hmm. trying to buy food in Poland and send it across the border. Yeah. Because it's better to support local Ukrainians. And obviously that's really difficult to find mm-hmm. as well. But supporting the Ukrainian economy in that way can also, you know, continue to help it build back up. Yeah. Was there anything that you didn't know about? I mean, I guess you mentioned food security, but you didn't know about going in that then when you were there was like, oh, well, it's a lot different than I thought it'd be. I think just the overall perception uh, in general, I think the food situation was really interesting to me because I had spent, I'd done a project before going into Ukraine looking at um, food supply and demand Mm -hmm. and I had done it on the current state and so there's not a lot of information about that in terms of academic reviewed information at the time and so having this perception of oh there's not going to be a lot of products or things like that and then going in and going into these food warehouses stocked with food waiting for distribution but either they don't have gas or they can't get the car out or something like that um i think was shocking can you repeat the question no you answered it perfectly that was that was perfect thank you um and just kind of to wrap up do you have any advice for listeners who want to start their own nonprofit? the easiest and biggest advice is just do it i think it can be really intimidating thinking about filing and having that be a public entity but if you're really passionate about it get your you know hands on and keep just like pursuing that and i know for me i had spent a lot of time grappling with the idea of oh i'm in charge of this like nonprofit now and i'm the founder yeah it's can be daunting but the process is so easy and i have been able to even talk about it here and talk about it in other places Mm -hmm. and just get the word out and honestly my biggest piece of advice is just go for it and take the time to create something that you want because you know it is set in stone yeah but anyone can do it from anywhere and yeah i just say go for it no i think that's great advice um and then just finally do you um is there any way people listening could help your nonprofit or get involved? Sure. So I am currently, since I've been back at school, have been pretty slow on continuing my nonprofit just because I'm studying and, you know, trying to get a degree so then I can go continue it. Mm-hmm. But I'd say follow us on Instagram, uh, Project Adapt underscore Ukraine, and check out our website and see some of the photographs that I've taken so, and read some of the stories and the blog posts that I've shared talking about their experience and what we did and how we helped is the best way to kind of get involved and, you know, reach out if you have any questions or 
want any advice and I'm always a source and happy to talk about anything. Awesome, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. This is so inspiring, like hearing this story. I'm like, it's actually incredible. Thank you, I really appreciate that. I'm so that. impressed. Um, and I thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you too. Okay, that wraps up for today. Um, again, don't forget to follow Promly on Instagram at Promly app and download the Promly app on the App Store.